The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. talk to you about a subject in Psalm 23. This is not about Psalm 23 tonight. This is about a phrase that David used in Psalm 23 to help us as Christians. It's been said that Psalm 23 cannot be quoted by anybody over about four years old. Because if if anybody much over four quotes it, They don't qualify to have the innocency that the psalm portrays. It's such a pure thing, such a sweet thing. I remember when Troy was three years old, we used to go on home, and some of you parents may do this and have your your kids quote various parts of the Bible. And I'll never forget, Troy at that period of time had a little trouble pronouncing certain words. You know, that's maybe my favorite time of life is when they don't pronounce the words right, quite right, and uh, and, and as he quoted Psalm 23, I looked over and Kathy's crying, I'm crying. And what was it? It was the purity of it, the innocency of it. It was beautiful. There's a statement in Psalm 23 that I want to talk to you about in verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Father, we pray tonight that you would give us wisdom. She would help us to understand the truth of life. That as born-again believers, we might believe the truth and not a lie, so that we not be disillusioned when these things come to us, knowing that many before us have walked through that valley. In Jesus' name, amen. Erroneously, our walk in Christ has been described as an escape from trouble. I've heard... Oftentimes, represented the Christian life, you get saved, things are going to look up to you. Things are going to start doing better, better, better. Well, I mean, there's a certain truth to that. That it, it, The Bible says that our, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're not to defile it. So consequently, based on that verse, if you quit smoking, you have delivered yourself from a lot of pain. Because if you keep smoking or chewing or doing any of that stuff, you're eventually going to cut half your tongue out, maybe some of your lip. You're going to go through all kinds of pain. You may have uh, lung cancer, you may end up with, uh, we call it emphysema. They do, they call it something else now. But you may end up with emphysema, and my grandfather died of emphysema, and it was a tough, hard death. I watched him. I was there when he took his last breath. And so, in that respect, the Bible does cause your life to be better. 
Amen. We, we, we encourage people not to drink alcohol here at the gospel. I can't think of a good thing alcohol does for anybody anywhere. If alcohol was taken out of this world, think of the crime that would go down. Think of the uh, husbands that wouldn't say what they say after they drink a couple beers or after they drink a couple glasses of wine, the stupid things they say to each other or the what they do or what they think and all the things. Why, that, that bottle releases a, a million demons when you drink it. I'm arguing with a guy right now vis-a-vis email. He's challenging me on alcohol, and he thinks it's a gift of God to man and all this other good stuff. And I said, you bring your list, I'll bring my list. And you bring your list of the good it does, and I'm going to bring my list of the bad I've seen it do. And you don't hardly have. It won't take long for you to tell me the good it does, but I can, I, I'm going to take, it'd take days almost to go through the... I said, every faith mission that's been developed in every one of the major cities of our country is based a lot of it on just simply the horror of alcohol. And I'm not preaching on that tonight. But erroneously, you have your health and wealth people out there preaching that Christianity is going to make everything come out roses in your life. No doubt that some things will be better when you quit smoking, you quit drinking alcohol, you quit overeating. Woo! This guy that I'm debating alcohol about says, well, I never heard about this church preach on gluttony. And I said, well, it's on the web. You can get it. I got one on it. Hey, Amen. We lost half the church. Now, I'll be honest with you. You shouldn't be gluttonous. It's a sin. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the eating. But when, it, when you get to the place where the doctor over there, first thing you go into a doctor, he'll say, Probably need to lose about 30 pounds. It'll help your diabetes. It'll help this. It'll help that. It'll help this. I love it. I want to go into a doctor and I want him to say, I think you need to gain a little weight. Well, that hasn't been said in a while, has it? A few people I know could be said about. Maybe you need to gain a little weight. You're getting a little skinny. My cholesterol's so low. I took a blood test for Dr. Crabb. It came back low cholesterol. I guess they don't spank, her, spank you too much for that, though, amen? But yeah, you quit overeating, quit doing drugs. It'd be good to quit doing drugs. Quit immorality. Of course that betters your life. Absolutely it does. And all those contribute to the demise of your body and your spirit and your emotions and hurt you. Because our body is the holy of holies. And being born again and realizing that God dwells in us, the hope of glory, absolutely improves your life in so many ways. But there's another aspect of our Christian life that we cannot ignore. Uh, that there is pain and suffering comes into our lives also that is allowed and directed by God for us to help us. I found that the school of pain is one of the best schools I've ever been to. When you get your degree in some subject of pain, you are an expert at it. There's no guessing. You got what it was. And I hope that whatever trouble you're going through right now, that you'll not miss what God has in it for you. Because God has something good in it to help you. Why? Because I know he's a loving Heavenly Father. I know he's a good parent. And I know that no matter what he brings in my life or allows to come into my life, even if the devil suggests it, if God allows it, it's going to help me just like it did Job going to help me. But I can tell you this, in some cases we go through the valley of the shadow 
of death. We don't go around it. We don't go over it. We don't go under it. We go through it. We go through it. I did a little review on the early church. Most of you are familiar with the book of Acts. I've been doing a survey of the Old Testament. I did a timeline of the Old Testament. Just I'm in the intertestamental period right now. Next week in my Sunday school class, I'll be talking about the four Herods in the Bible and where they're at and try to help you understand that a little bit. And it's been, it's been good for me to re-review all of that. The book of Acts is going to also do the same thing with the New Testament, divide it up and show you how it, is, it works out chronologically. The book of Acts is the actions of the early church. The actions of the apostles that were told to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. There were only 11 of them. Eventually, I believe there were 12 of them because there's two, really two main characters to the book of Acts, the, the uh, Peter and then Paul. There also, you know, Barnabas was in there, Silas was in there, Timothy was even mentioned. There's some other people in there. But really, Peter and Paul are the two major characters of the book. The book covers a period of time from about 33 after, of course, the ascension of Christ uh, to about 65. Uh, some of you may, may say it goes a little further than that, 65 A.D. It starts with Peter preaching, of course. It starts with down the Holy Spirit of God, 120 in the upper room. The Spirit of God comes, and they receive power to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the undermost part of the world. Peter, being he was given the keys of the kingdom to open the gospel, he opened the gospel first to Jerusalem. He preached two sermons, man. 3,000 get saved, amen. 5,000 get saved. Well, they were ready, man. They were ready. The ground was fertile. Jesus had, had, had tilled that ground, and it was ready, and he preached Christ. And after that crucifixion, and they responded, the Holy Spirit of God also was with them in signs and some wonders to prove that they were indeed telling the truth. And it was them that God was using. We see uh, those two sermons. Uh, we, we eventually see down, uh, you know, the gospel opened in chapter 8 to the Samaritans. Now, Samaritans were the people that, remember uh, James and John, remember John, the sons of thunder and James, and he said, call fire down from heaven and destroy them. They weren't real friendly with the Samaritans, didn't like the Samaritans, thought the Samaritans were compromisers, half-breeds, and there was a lot of hatred back and forth. They wouldn't even talk to each other, wouldn't eat with each other. There was a lot of animosity between the Jews that were the true Jews of the faith, and then the Samaritans who had been mixed with the Assyrians and some other things going on, and, and so uh, had denied a lot of the books of the Bible, and and so there was reasons why they were. But the Samaritans, he opened the Gospel of Samaritans, chapter 8, verse 14. And then Peter opened the Gospel to the Gentiles. And most of you know in chapter 10 there, Cornelius, he goes in and opens the Gospel, and the Holy Spirit led that. But brother, once the Gospel was opened to the people at Jerusalem, and once it was opened to the people in Samaria, and once the family was opened to the Gentiles, it was open to the whole world. And from that point on, God sent persecution on the church there in Jerusalem. You know what we Christians want to do? We want to huddle. We like each other. We want to be together. But God says, no, you need to go into the world. They wouldn't do it. He sent persecution and drove them out everywhere, the Bible says, they went preaching the gospel. I hope he doesn't have to do that. That's why I'm for missions. I'm for missions, man. I'm all over missions. I want to be able to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature through people that are God called. I don't want God to bring persecution here where I got to go down to Costa Rica or Cuba to flee America because Obama's after me. 
I did a little survey of the early church here in Acts. Let me just go chapter by chapter as quickly as I can. I hope you can uh, hold on uh, and pay attention. Hopefully you get this uh, because I'm going to try to show you a pattern that I see in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4, we see Peter and John were threatened with physical harm uh, and religious expulsion from the Jewish religion for speaking in the name of Jesus and healing a lame man in Jesus' name. That was a serious, serious threat. In Acts chapter 4, verse 29, their reaction. And now, the Lord, and now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. We see in Acts chapter 5, Peter and the other apostles were taken. They were jailed in a common prison. An angel released them told them to go and preach. And they again were arrested and threatened and beaten. Their reaction, found in verse 29, chapter 5. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. Verse 41, They departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. You would think, having been three years with Jesus himself, having seen all of the miracles, the resurrection, having actually been taught by him after the resurrection, uh, eventually seeing his ascension, the angels telling the same Jesus was taken up from you into heaven, so so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. And we've been given instruction, been given uh, in, the upper, in the upper room there with 120, been given the feeling of an anointing and baptism of the Holy Spirit of God, that you would think things would go well for the apostles after that. Wouldn't you just generally think that? But that's not what we see in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 6 and 7, we see Stephen, a deacon. Follow a deacon, glory to God, preaching in Jesus' name and was arrested, taken out, and eventually stoned to death. Boy, you'll do yourself a favor if you'll read chapter 6 and 7 of the book of Acts and see a preaching deacon that could defend his faith by the grace of God in front of those other people. Boy, he stood up for God. What happened? What was the reaction? Verse 59, chapter 7 says, And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this to their sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. I was over in Israel, and our our tour guide said, uh, uh, over here, when they would want to execute somebody, they would just gather them in the middle, and the people that accused them would pick up a stone. I said, and there were stones. You know, one thing we noticed, there were stones everywhere. And did you notice how jagged they were? They're flinty stones. The stones over in Israel are hard, flinty stones, sharp edges, if you know what I mean by flinty stones. They're they're sharp edges. And I could see, I picked a few of them up. I could see, my goodness, you get hit with this stone. I mean, it's going to either kill you outright or bleed you out one way or another. This would be a tough way to go. That's what they would do. They'd just pick the stones that were up there, stone somebody, and that was the execution. That's what they did to Stephen. Now, he loved Jesus. He loved Jesus. Who would ever doubt Stephen loved Jesus? He was the deacon. When he was the deacon, he didn't know he was going to risk his whole world. But he did. These health and wealth people, I think they just need to reread the book of Acts. They need to relook at the early church. This is the way the father treated his new converts as they believed in his son Jesus. 
We have Saul's intense persecution of the Christians found in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verse 3, it says, And for Saul he made havoc of the church, entering to every house, hailing men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, they were scattered abroad everywhere where were preaching the word. Later, in further detail of what was behind it, in 1 Timothy 1.13, Paul says of himself, who was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious, but obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. In Acts chapter 22, verse 4, Paul says, I persecuted this way unto death, binding and delivering prisons uh, into prisons both men and women. And also the high priest that bear me witness in all the estate of the elders, for whom also I received letters unto the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring them which were bound in, under Jerusalem to be in prison. And I punished them oft in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceeding mad against them, I persecuted even them un. I persecuted them even unto strange cities. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he says, For I am the least of the apostles, that I not, uh, that am not meet to be called an apostle. But why? Because I persecuted the church of God. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 13, he says, For ye have heard of my conversation, my life, in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure... I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. All of these places that I just read for you out of the Bible are indicative of the terrible suffering of some of the folks who claim Christ in the early church. If you read the Bible, rather than coming to the conclusion of the health and wealth folks, that everything's going to get better, and God's always going to make you healthy, and God's always going to take trouble away from you, I would have to go the other way, wouldn't you? Just based on the evidence of this? Acts chapter 9. Saul now, he converted Paul and, and threatened with death. When Paul got in, in, in uh, converted, he was on the road to Damascus, Jesus appears to him, and he, he gives that testimony three other, two other times in the book of Acts. Uh, what did they do? The Jews, laying in wait to kill him, watched the gates day and night in Acts chapter 9, verse 24. And he was let down in a basket over the wall and escaped. When, he, when Paul was in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 9, verse 29, it says, And they spake boldly, and he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. Have you ever been threatened with death as a born-again believer? Have you ever honestly had people out there wanting to kill you? That was these folks. That was these folks. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'd feel a little uneasy if somebody with credibility told me, we're going to kill you. We're going to take you out. That's what they told Paul. That's what they planned on doing to him. Acts chapter 12. James, this is the brother of John, one of the sons of thunder. By the way, a mystery. Some of this is a mystery how God uh, used this. But he used the blood of the early church to spread the gospel. 
He says in Acts chapter 12, verse 1, Now about the time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Acts chapter 12, Peter was in prison awaiting execution, and he released him, uh, but he was, he was awaiting execution, and God just didn't said that's not going to happen to you, but he was resigned to that at least. Acts chapter 14 in Iconium, uh, 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 Paul and Barnabas threatened with stoning. Acts chapter 14, Lystra, Paul was stoned and left for dead. I'm just kind of hurrying through these. Acts chapter 14, verse 22 says, Paul says, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Are you listening to me tonight? I know this is a little wearisome going down through these one at a time, but there's an effect of it that I want you to get. There's a cumulative, cumulative effect of it. The people out there that just killed 143 some odd students in Kenya, that can be us. And historically, that is not unusual for a born-again believer. Now, it's unusual for you and me in the history of America because we've had a haven of rest here in America, amen? It's been an, a bubble, historically, that is an exception to history. Historically, born-again Christians, look, read the book of Hebrews chapter 10. People that followed Jehovah God even were driven and lived in caves and were sawn asunder and, and whom the world is not worthy. Isn't that what it says there in chapter 10? We must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. Does it make sense a little bit more when David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas were whipped and jailed in Philippi. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates ran off their clothes and commanded and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Now, all I can tell you, this was not the kind of prison you visited, with a weight room, big screen TV, outdoor baseball, all any of that kind of stuff. This was a mud hole with no bathrooms, rats, uh, disease of every kind. In fact, the prison sentence many times was the death sentence. But what did Paul do? What did Silas do in the midnight? Paul and Silas prayed and sang, the stone is rolled away. The stone is rolled away. The stone is rolled away. Sunday is coming. Resurrection day is coming. The suffering that I have for this present time, why, it's not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be for being faithful to Jesus Christ unto death. I believe that we in America need to start preparing ourselves for something that we have not had for over 200 years, and that is direct persecution for being a born-again Christian and standing up for Jesus. I think you people with children better start talking to your kids about giving their lives for Jesus. 
I guarantee you, my grandchildren, I'm talking to them about giving their lives for Jesus and having their heads cut off or being shot in the head because they say they're a Christian. Be willing to stand up for Jesus even unto death. That's what the Remember, the Bible is a need-to-know book. God just put what you needed to know, and this is what he put in the book. Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 17. The house of Jason was assaulted. Acts chapter 17, Paul was mocked at, at Athens, 17.32. Acts chapter 19, at Ephesus, there was a public demonstration against them for two hours. Acts chapter 21, Paul seized at the temple in Jerusalem and beaten. That old boy, I'm telling you, if Doc, if we brought Paul into your office, you say, ain't no hope. You got everything wrong with you. You got scar tissue on scar tissue. You can imagine being whipped the way he was. How many times his back had healed and been scarred and healed and been scarred and healed and been scarred. I've seen a few people with some scars like that. It just looks like a mass of skin on top of itself, like somebody that got burned real bad. And you'd see the scars and, and being beaten in his face and nose broken. Remember back then, they didn't have good plastic surgeons. You didn't go get your nose straightened when it got broke. It was broken. That was the way it was. You just went around with a crooked nose. How about when you got your tooth knocked out? They didn't have good teeth back then. In fact, I think George Washington only had one tooth when he got elected president. One tooth. That's not that many years ago. Acts chapter 22 to 28. Paul, that's the last part of the book of Acts. Paul was held prisoner with plots to kill him ever looming over his head for some over two years. They wanted to kill him. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What? I'll fear no evil. Remember, not run through the valley. Yea, though I run through the valley. No, you're not running through the valley. You're going to walk because you and I are only going to live this life one day at a time. You can't rush it. You're just going to live one day at a time. You're going to walk through the valley with God. If you're a born-again Christian, you're not going to live in fear. Ours is not the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We don't have the spirit of fear. My, oh, my. You young people, don't get upset. You, you, you expecting a newborn baby, and I'm talking about gloom and doom. Don't be upset because there's a special place around the throne of God for those who are willing to give their life for Jesus. The closest people around the Lord Jesus in eternity are those who are willing to give their life for him. Are you discouraged and doubting God why, has, why, has, why he has let you go through some troubles? I have people come to me and say, Preacher, God's let me go bankrupt. I went bankrupt. Well, first of all, don't blame him. But if it does happen, that's nothing compared to what I just described to you out of the book of Acts, is it? Let me say, I've heard all kinds of troubles. People come to me and they share the troubles with me. I've heard all kinds of troubles. I've never heard troubles in the degree that I just read to you. I don't know anybody that was whipped to where the skin was lacerated across their back uh, like Paul was. N nobody. I've never known anybody beaten like Paul was beaten or or these other. I've never known anybody like Stephen who was stoned to death for Jesus. I have not known anybody like that in my lifetime. And I'm going to say there may have been some in America. There has been some, no doubt. 
But God will work with you through the valley of the shadow of death. And you won't fear any evil because you're going to trust him. Thou art with me. You know that I believe that why Paul and Silas sang in that old dark, dank, damp dungeon was because God was with them. The Holy Spirit's closer to you. The Holy Spirit comes and manifests himself to you. And you get a song in the night. And in that dark jail, they, they were, I'm sure they were in pain. I'm sure it was, man, the, probably the, you know, the rats smelled the blood and they'll come out and probably licking their wounds. I wouldn't doubt it. And, and, and you know, they're there and they're, they're not thinking about, I'm not going to get my Social Security because it'll be run out by the time I get 66. They weren't thinking about old non, uh, non, non-problems like that. They were thinking about whether they're going to get a staph infection or get MRSA or get whatever was in that jail, whether they were going to even bleed out in that whole thing. But they didn't care because thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence, in the inner, inner jail, the presence of my enemies. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the promise of God Almighty to those who will be faithful. I like this verse, and you may want to turn to it. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. He tells the early church there, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Let me just say this. That was big. And I say it to you again almost 2,000 years down the road from that writing. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer, Christian. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried. And you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death. And I will give thee a crown of life. I've just been burdened lately as I've listened to some of the news, though I am outside looking in most of the time on news. I did not even know that UK was beaten by Wisconsin this morning. I did not know that. Otherwise, when that Wisconsin person would have said something, I would have done a hooted and hollered and run around the pulpit, but evidently God kept it from me. I'm outside looking in on most of the news. I have rabbit ears that get about five channels fuzzy. And that's if the wind is not blowing. Now, if the wind's blowing, you only get three channels. And if the wind's blowing one way, you get all five. One way, you get three. And that's the way the thing works. But anyway, there's nothing on the three that's really worth watching hardly. And so, but once in a while, I catch the news. And I hear about these Christians being killed. And I see the persecution. And I believe there is a stirring worldwide against Christianity. A wave of persecution is coming. I see it in our own country and the liberals and the disdain they have for us. And the way Indiana is a good, my home state, Indiana, they, they, they enact a, a, a bill that tw- I think 20 other states have already done. The federal government's already done it. And the states were allowed to do it of their own. And I don't know whether they backed down from that or not. I hope they didn't. 
Did they? I'm taking my citizenship away from Indiana. I don't even know, but if they backed off of that, I'm, so, I'm ashamed of my fellow Indiana people. But brother, the homosexuals are out for our hide. They want your kids. That's what they say. They want their mind. It's not a gentle, kind, sweet people group. If you And by the way, uh, tolerance, what is that? Tolerance for them, but not you. Folks, it could be God's will to purify his people again. I guarantee you when people start suffering persecution again for the cause of Christ, if that happens here, it's going to separate the men from the boys. It's going to separate those who are casual believers from real believers. If you risk your finances, your finances because you're a born-again Christian, if you risk everything you have and own, even to your health for, for Christ, it's going to come who's really a believer who's not. Who really believes the Bible? Who does? And who does not? But fear none of those things, that thou shalt suffer. I believe that. The devil shall cast some of you in prison. You'll be tried. You'll have tribulation. But, but be, dear ones, be faithful unto death. And he'll give you a crown of life. You know, I, you see, the second, the second that the, uh, the old Muslim I was reading, I get a magazine called uh, A Voice of the Martyrs, V-O-M, Voice of the Martyrs. And what they do is they collect stories, real stories, verified stories of, of martyrdom. Right now, martyrdom going on in the world. And some of those stories you read and you can't help but having a tear come down your eye as they go into these houses and massacre these people. And they all say, are you Christian? Boom. You Christian? Boom. Right in front of the children. Then they go to the children and say, are you a Christian? Just after they killed their mom and dad. Have, ask an eight-year-old kid to make a decision of life and death. But you know what the you know what the article and you know what the article encouraged? Teach your children to stand for Jesus, even at eight years old. Tell them not to deny Christ, no matter what they do to you. Be faithful unto death. Thou shalt get. Thou, you, God will give you a crown. Just as soon as the trigger is pulled, your problems are over. And God's going to be with you and come to you. Now, you know, that's a strange thought even for us here in America, isn't it? You know what I have people tell me? I won't go door to door because I don't like people being mean to me. You are sissies. I mean, really, you think about our brothers in the past and what they've suffered for Jesus. And here we are going, you know, somebody... Somebody got mad at me at the door and, and slammed the door on me. I'm never I'm not gonna obey God and go out and tell anybody else about Jesus because I just that hurts my feelings. Whoa! Brother and sister in Christ, get back into the book of Acts, read it. Those are our, those are the people that are our, our fathers and forefathers. Stand, having done all to stand, stand therefore. Having your loins girt about with truth, your feet shed with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, uh, uh, the sword of the Spirit, word of God, helmet of salvation. We're soldiers for Christ. Stand. Kind of adds a new meaning where David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. If 
Father, help us. We pray to get this truth tonight. Thank you for putting the Word of God in its way that we can learn these things. I pray that the church here, the Gospel Baptist Church, would be willing to stand, yea, even unto death. That that testimony of our death would be a fire that would light the gospel, a flame in the wind, as it were, to spread the gospel throughout the known world. Father, we pray that as America, that we would, that you would encourage us to, to look at the word of God and to stand, having done all the stand. God help us. Help our kids. Help our grandchildren. Help our great-grandchildren. Father, to understand the Word of God and love Jesus to the place of being willing to say yes in the front of a gun barrel. God, give us grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody that lives about us says tear that lighthouse down. The big ships don't sail this way anymore There's no use in it standing round Then my mind goes back to that stormy night When just in time I saw the light Yes, the light from the See you.